0: I won't ask anybody to raise their hand, but if I if I could ask you this morning, how many of you guys just love where your prayer life is right now? I wonder how many of us would say, Yeah, yeah, man. No room for improvement. I'm just loving it. It is, it is where I want it to be. Uh, there is something fundamental and basic about prayer. And you know, theologically I I need to put prayer and Bible reading in the same conversation because God's clear revelation of the world that we live in and our understandings come from the word of God. But prayer was around before the word of God was was put in place, right? There's revelation from God always, and we need that. We can't pray at all. But there is this praying. there's, There's this dimension of our lives that has to do with just an exchange of communication between creature and creator. And calling upon the name of the Lord. That is as fundamental as anything that you're going to do as a Christian. And yet, I have found it in my own life. And I have found it in talking to mature, godly men and women. And to the average saint. It is one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life. And so... Uh, I hope today's message does something to uh, strengthen and enable and help you to get down the road a little bit in this category of prayer. As you guys know, we have been taking part of the early part of this year, and we interrupted that with some other things, to to talk about this topic of discipleship, and I want to rescue that, and every time I bring this up, I want to make sure and rescue it from some church category that's irrelevant, to the rest of our lives, because there's a lot of noise and within your social media feeds and the news things that come across us and the conversations that we have in our world, discipleship probably is not in one of those categories. But discipleship and being a disciple is as fundamental to your existence and my existence as anything that does exist. It is an identity defining characteristic of our lives. Now I, I know this, a bunch of things have competed for our attention over the last few years, especially for identity markers, for things that define my identity, right? We have lived through these things. So in the last few years, uh, race has been a massive identity definer. What race are you? And how does that define who you are? And how you interact with the world that you're in. And how you see other people. And how you think other people see you. Right? So race was this massive, massive deal in our world. And it always has been. Gender. Uh, gender didn't used to be a massive identity definer. It was just accepted that gender was gender. But now, it's a massive identity definer. You get defined by your gender or the sense of you're in transition in the category of gender. Uh, What you are in one dimension of yourself physically may not be what you identify, identity, identify as. So you identify as something different. So the gender category is a massive definer. Uh, Sexual impulse, sexual expression Right? You would have psychologists through the years that would say, we are sexual beings, and they would heighten that to the sense that uh, that's the most important defining thing about a human being. And then they would, they would actually describe history as how history unfolded because of sexuality and, and people's expressions of sexuality created and defined societies. So your identity can be in that category. In, in our day, uh, philosophies and political ideologies create people's identities. Right, the things that, that reach us, the things that make sense to us, the things that get our attention. Right, I mean, not every news feed gets your attention, does it? But certain ones do, and, and they know how to, to, to sprinkle something into that news headline to get your attention. What are they doing? They're trying to tap into what you identify with and make you pay attention to that because somehow that's relevant to your life. So, everything I just described is relevant. Or at least we've been told it's the most relevant things about our lives. But can I, can I say there's a label that got put on you as a Christian by the creator himself. He called you a disciple. And when He put that label on you, that label trumped every other label. So you could be a black disciple or a white disciple. You could be Hispanic. You could be Asian. You could be a variety of ethnic and cultural backgrounds. But disciple trumps all that. You could be male or female in this room. And there's a big war today about how that gets defined and what are the roles and how do we see those? And and what's the history of that? And who's misbehaved in those categories? How does that need to get fixed? All right, that, that all can exist in our world. But whether you are male or female, the word disciple trumps all that. Your sexual identity. Your attractiveness, I'm attracted to the opposite sex. Well, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. Whatever that is, the word disciple trumps all that. Well, I'm, I'm conservative. Well, I'm progressive. I'm Republican. I'm Democrat. The word disciple trumps all that. When God stands that word up in our lives, it defines us. So not a small deal. Not some topic that, oh, this really doesn't matter. There's other topics that really... This topic matters. Now we pulled this topic into the into the church setting because when you pick the Bible up, <clears throat> you will find the Bible describes discipleship as, as a group effort. It, we are growing together for the glory of God. Right? And in the Bible, Christianity is not golf. It's not just you versus the devil. Just, you know, hey, just you and the devil working this thing out. You know, you you're the only person that no, no, no. You you need other dimensions. To fulfill the purpose of God. And that's what the church is. It is a place where discipleship, it gets nurtured. It gets structured. It touches our lives. It's designed to do certain things. It requires gifts, people, abilities, information outside of yourself. Somebody needs to stand in the pulpit and pull you into categories that you wouldn't go there by yourself. That's why we have teachers in the Bible. That's that's why you know Galatians sounds the way it does. If you're the people in Galatia... You don't necessarily have these insights until God inspires his word to come to them and say, hey, you need to talk about this. This is a topic for you guys. And it's a different topic than the Hebrews epistle gives to that audience. Because God knows he's got he's to bring certain things to us. But that's what this together dimension of a church does. And so... We've been walking through this, this series on discipleship. Uh, I would love to say we, we're a church who figured out this really cool slogan, and there's like a one-sentence thing that we figured out how, how to describe discipleship in one sentence. Um, every time I read somebody who's got a pretty cool slogan as a church, I read somebody else and I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's better in some ways, but it doesn't even cover that. Can I just tell you, there is no one sentence that can explain discipleship. And if you're looking for that, you know, we've, we've thrown one out there because it's the trendy thing to do. And actually we're doing that probably from the year 2000. We are growing together for the glory of God, right? That's our short sentence, but it's going to take me about 12 messages to unpack that. So it's just, there's not a concise way of unpacking discipleship. It's a little bit more complicated than just a phrase. So I have at least broken down some of our thoughts into three major categories. You know, the aim of discipleship. We we exist for the glory of God. So the aim of everything that God's created is for his glory. But this phrase we've been interacting with in John 15 describes us as, as growing and bearing fruit. Bearing the life that is in the vine. And that's God's illustration to say he is transferring his life back into this fallen, created world. The image of God is coming into this world. We are growing and becoming more and more image bearers every day of our lives. That's our goal at Lakeview Christian Center. We want to grow in bearing the image of God and bringing the fruit of that image into this world for the glory of God. But there are activities in discipleship. There are things that are not activities for us. There are promises that God has made that are not about you doing anything to make them true or for them to exist. There are doctrines like justification that exist. There is the inheritance that God has promised that exists. There is sovereign grace of God choosing to interact with us for his own reasons that exist outside of anything you and I will ever do. But then there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible that tells you do this, do that, stop doing this, start doing this, do that. So discipleship can't fall asleep in these categories. It, 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 is, it flourishes. We get in touch with you are blessed. The Bible says you know these things. He said you are blessed if you do them. So we're talking about doing some things today. And, and last week or a couple of weeks ago, uh, Frank started us down the pathway of the activities and, and you know, his passion for evangelism. Uh, I, I let him lead us into that category because nobody leads us better in that category than he does. Um, so the first activity that was looked at, our, these are our hills to die on. These are the things as a church that we're going to die on these hills. We're going to go after accomplishing these things in the kingdom of God. Was that we have a, a mandate to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to transfer the gospel into this world. And that's what evangelism does. Uh, This would be be my starting place. If I started, not because the Bible requires us to start here, but I would start with prayer as an activity for the believer that sits at the very center of our existence. And so topic of the day is the essential activity of prayer. Uh, We're going to look at its essentialness and we're going to look at its mystery. As well, because sometimes the mystery runs us off from it. So we want us to see mystery right away so that when you go to do prayer, you do it with a sense of, okay, prayer is mysterious. I gotta be ready for that. All right. Alright, so we're gonna be in John 15 again, hanging out in this illustration that Jesus gave to illustrate discipleship about the vine and fruitfulness. So John 15. I'm going to skip around a little bit in these verses and read parts of these passages. So, some of this should be in your outline or up on the screen. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, right? Fruit bearing is a big deal in this passage. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7. If you abide in me, in my words, abide in you, ask. How do you that word ask? You're going to hear it a lot today. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this... My father is glorified, right? This is what ultimately we exist for, for glorifying the father. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I commanded you, so that you will love one another. Well, Father, open our hearts to your word, its power, its influence, its its defining of us. And give grace to us to hear from wherever we are, Lord. This is the first time we've ever read this passage or the hundredth. Lord, provide grace for us to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there's a lot in that passage, right? And I'm just, you know, if I were to ask you, hey, could you preach next week? Could you just read this passage? and could just, could just bring whatever God puts in your heart. All right, I put a little checklist there. I just want you to see, there's a lot in the Bible. There's a lot we can talk about that the Bible talks about at length, right? There's a clarifying illustration in this Bible about life, that there's a vine and there are branches and there's fruit being born. There's an illustration. It's going to define our lives. It's going to tell us something about what God's up to, right? So we can figure out the character of God a bit from me. He's a vine dresser. So he's strategic. He's after something. He's in our lives, not just sitting back with no agenda, waiting for us to come up with an idea. He's a vine dresser. And so he wants something as an outcome. So there's a, there's a message there. We've been poking around in that. There's abiding and there's obedience here. Right? There are commandments in this passage and we are, we are called upon. We are given instruction and commanded to do certain things and to abide in him and obey. There's the central aim of glorifying God here. We could break that out as a topic. There's the love of God for us. I could preach a message on the love of God for us from this passage and it would be an accurate display. And then I could turn around and preach a message on our loving one another, which is also in this passage, very important. Then there's the creator's intention of joy in our lives. Did you know that the creator, the vine dresser, he's not just working something out because he's got this this big factory, this heavenly factory that's producing a product and all he's interested in is the product. And he's using you up like you're some kind of a a support employee and he's overworking you to get his thing done and he doesn't care about you. No, this, this vine dresser, is motivated to bring joy into our lives. He wants our joy to be full. We preach on that. But then, embedded in here is what we're going to talk about today is this, this essentialness of prayer, right? In verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask, there's that word, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right, So clearly Jesus says, there's stuff that's going to be going on in your life. There's going to be some things that are going to happen in your life. There's going to be some doing. Events are going to come to you. Stuff is going to show up. People are going to arrive in your life. Where's that going to come from? Well, it's going to be done for you. Well, where'd that done for you come from? You ask for it. Ask, and it will be done for you. This is supposed to be getting you and I to think, all right, so things that happen in my life, Can be the product of my asking for them? Yes, that's exactly what that verse says. Verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you, right? Immediately there should be a question. Lord, why did you do that? Well, for you to go and bear fruit. That your fruit should abide. I chose you so that. There's a so that here. I chose you so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it. To you. That's enormous. The creator had a reason behind all this story that we're interacting with. He had a reason behind making us his own people. Putting us in a special relationship with him. That's what it means to be chosen. And I know this kind of like, sounds like shocking. Uh, to hear that God does not relate to every human being the same way. That shocks people when I say that stuff. It's like, wait, What? Huh? Because we, we love this word fair. Can I just tell you, you as a Christian should hate the word fair. The last thing in the world you're interested in is God being fair to you. Fair means everybody gets what they deserve. Still wanting to be fair. Uh, so th- there is this specialness that God has chosen to set his love upon those that he has chosen in a particular Way He has given them unique privilege and access. You know, sometimes people are shocked when they read the prophets. They seldom do. That's why they're really shocked. When Isaiah turns around and says, your sins, your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and he does not hear you. That's shocking, isn't it? Because we think, you know, God's kind of this grandfatherly. He gets along. He'll suck it up. He'll get over that. Nothing really offends him. And he's for us all the time. So he's kind of like, what do you want next? What do you want next? The choosing part is what makes God that way. I chose you. Therefore, I listened to you uniquely. Because I chose you and appointed you. Of all the people in the world, I chose you and I appointed you for something. And, And in this passage, so that. So that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will do it. So you and I are chosen to pray. We are chosen to be a voice on the earth that asks the creator to do things in this world. We are chosen for that. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, he says, In short, these closing words, again, remind the reader that the means... Of the fruitfulness for which they have been chosen is prayer in Jesus' name. The means, the way which things are going to come into the world that you and I dwell in, live in, and fulfill God's purpose, the means of that is prayer. Richard Phillips in his commentary says this Jesus links our abiding in Him and our bearing fruit to His promise to answer our prayers. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is the third time. In this farewell discourse, right? This last night of Jesus being together with his disciples. Remember the context where we are? John 15 sits in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Five chapters. This is amazing when you look at the print in the Bible. Five chapters devoted to five hours. That's about that's a time span from John 13 to the end of John 17. Five hours with Jesus on this last night, and he emphasizes this three times. This is the third time in this farewell discourse that Jesus has made essential the identical promise about prayer. This repetition indicates the emphasis that Jesus places on prayer. If in five hours you heard Jesus say the same thing three times, and I'm going to say he said more than that about it than what Phillips is rec, uh, recognizing, you would have walked out of that meeting thinking, wow, okay, prayer is, prayer is pretty important. Asking God is pretty important. Interacting with God in prayer is pretty important. Let me jump into these three times that Jesus interacts with this. This was on Jesus' mind. I've always been enamored with this set of passages from John 13 to John 17 because because the moment is so ripe and powerful. Jesus knows this is the last time we're together before they come and seize me, take me to a trial And nail me to a cross. We've been walking together. I've been teaching you all kinds of things all these years. You've seen all kinds of things about the kingdom of God. This is my last words to you. That's pretty interesting, right? I mean, what would Jesus say in his last words? Well, if you back up from John 15 into John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. That's pretty big, right? You watch Jesus raise the dead. You watch Jesus do miracles and healings, speak and preach with authority. Jesus says, okay, I'm going away. Now your turn. And and you're going to do some greater works than these. And then immediately after that, he says, whatever you, here's that word, ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Right, over and over and over again, Jesus is going to create this. You're going to ask, heaven is going to give. You're going to ask, heaven is going to give. You're going to ask, Heaven is going to get, he's going to say that over and over again, and then he's going to turn around and model it for them. Acts 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, all right, before I read this next part, if you love me, because I'm not going to qualify prayer today. I'm just going to introduce us to this powerful concept that if you're a Christian, you've bumped into using these, this, this, Concept and part of you is saying, but yeah, but what if you ask wrong? Because a lot of my prayers don't get answered. Okay, I'm not even going there today. I'm not going to try and unpack that. I'm not going to try and adjust it, etc. I'm just going to let Jesus' words be Jesus' words. This is how he chose to, to introduce to these guys on this last night that there is to be understood. Every one of us needs to walk out of here today with a greater understanding that there is established by Jesus something of a human being with blood flowing in your veins. You are a mortal person with a spiritual life given to us from God that stands on planet Earth, and we ask. That's what we do. We ask, and heaven gives. If you don't get anything else, just get that. That's established by Jesus. He said it three times. You're going to ask. I'm going to give. You're asked. My father's going to give. Heaven's going to give something. You're going to ask for it, though. Right? That's what's here. And then Jesus turns around and says, this about himself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. All right. How many times have you read past that? I can guarantee you've read it too fast. It was God's intention, right? When you go back to the Garden of Eden, God breathed his life into Adam. And man became a living being, right? The spirit came alive with God's life. Sin comes in, man dies, and the definition for death in the Garden of Eden was the loss of the life of God. They didn't physically die. They lost the life of God in them. So Adam and Eve and all the Old Testament saints, those who were uniquely filled with the Spirit, had got a little bit of a tap into the future there. But there was coming a day when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Holy Spirit needs to return to that place inside of you, animating your life. The life of the vine must be in you, the branch. So that's where the whole Bible is going. So the day that the Holy Spirit would indwell the believer again, was what, what all this time has been waiting for that moment when the Holy Spirit's life is going to now come and dwell within man. That is God's restorative plan. And how does that come about? I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I will ask, and the Father will give How did you and I get the Holy Spirit? Somebody asked for us, and we received. Don't overlook this. There are things about how God runs his kingdom that don't escape this reality. God has established that human beings, and in this sense, the Son of Man, the Son of Man will ask on behalf of man. Listen, it was very important that Jesus Christ was the God-man. Because he did things on our behalf that man needed a man to do. And his intercession and asking brings to us the Holy Spirit. How many of us, you know, if I didn't say it to us that way, wouldn't we just think that automatically the Holy Spirit shows up? It's like a a theological timeline. Old Testament, loss of the Spirit, boom, 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 boom. Time comes along Jesus, he gets ascended, Pentecost comes and everybody gets the Spirit. Like, it's just part of the program, right? It just happened. Uh, It didn't just happen. It was part of the program, and yet it required that the Son of Man stand and ask the Father for it. Don't don't make small of that. John 16, again, same night. It's after our John 15 passage. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. And this is a little bit of a debated uh, interpretation in terms of, was Jesus referring to the day you see me on the other side of, of the resurrection? It could be could be. There's a couple of things here that are a little bit hard to, to explain because their asking doesn't come to an end in that moment, right? Prayer doesn't come to an end. There's a lot of asking. Christians do a lot of asking, and they're going to do a lot of asking. But he says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. So this could be referring to when we are at the end of the age and we are with Jesus and, and, and we, don't, we don't ask anymore. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, again, he's bringing this up again, he will give it to you. This is how it works in the kingdom. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Right? So there's coming a day when we're not going to ask anymore. This is not that day. We live in a day now where we ask and we ask and we ask and we ask. Prayer is about recognizing there are things in heaven that we need here. There is something to be given by God that we need it to show up here. Okay, what are those things? Well, I don't know. We'll get about figuring that out because we're supposed to be asking. For those things, right? This is what it means to abide. If you abide in me, my word abides in you, right? If, if these things, this exchange is taking place, I begin to know things to ask. I I begin to get like-minded with God and I begin to see life and needs that exist that I'm asking for heavenly resources to show up in that moment. And then one more thing happens here. In John 17, this is, you know, this is really the Lord's Prayer, if you wanted to call something the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus' great prayer of intercession, where he is asking the Father on behalf of his disciples for some particular things that matter, right? It's a short little highlight. John 17, verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask, there's that word, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus is concerned about his disciples. He sees the needs in their lives. He sees the forces of evil in this world. He sees the temptations that are all around them. Like if I just stop right now and I said, do you, do you see those things right now? When you stare out at disciples that are in this room with you that are seated, seated right next to you in your family, going to go home with you today. Do you see those things? You see the needs that are in their lives. Do you see the hostility that's in this world? Do you see the ideas that are coming against them? Do you see the temptations for them to quit, give up, go after something else? Jesus saw all those things. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I do ask this, that you keep them from the evil one. Our prayer should sound like this, right? And he asked for this in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Right? This is going... God, whatever you got to do, Father, do that. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So Jesus looks into the future and he sees you and me, who through generations have come to believe the gospel. And our followers, we are disciples of Christ and he is interceding for you and for me. He is asking, a human being is asking for something from heaven for you and for me. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, brethren, whether we like it or not, remember asking is the rule of the kingdom. Ask and you will receive. It's a rule that never will be altered in anybody's case. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the elder brother of the family, but God has not relaxed the rule for him. Remember this text? It's from Psalm 2. Jehovah says to his own son, Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. You just know it's just, well, it's just God's will. Right, Jesus is the creator of all things that all rightly belongs to him. So isn't it just the father's will to give it to him? It's rightly his. And then God turns around and says, ask me for it. He actually did. If the royal and divine son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot expect the rule to be relaxed in our favor. If you may have Everything by asking and nothing without asking. I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. And I beseech you to abound in it. This is is where what kind of kingdom do you and I live in when we stop asking. Now listen, I know prayer is hard. And I know there's a lot of swinging and missing going on and I know sometimes getting motivated to prayer and finding time for prayer, none of those things can become justifiable reasons for us to deny what Mr. Spurgeon here describes as the rule of the kingdom that even the son of God himself abides by. We have need of asking. So I think I put this question in your outline. How much of that last Mission-Clarifying Evening together was about helping them understand the essential activity of prayer. What God did in this teaching was install a connection between earthly asking and heavenly giving. He connected those things, right? He'd fly you through, James gives us some really helpful insights here. I'll just move you through these pretty quickly. James 1 Verse five, if any of you lacks, right? This is what makes us ask. We lack, we recognize need. If any of you lacks wisdom, right? And in this moment, he's pointing to wisdom. I don't think this is only applicable to wisdom. If any of you lacks other things. If, if, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, will, will God give you a stone or a fish? Remember that? I mean, you can ask for that. Give us this day our daily bread. So that's not a wisdom necessarily issue. It's a need, etc. So if in this moment, James says, if any of you lacks whatever, wisdom, let him ask God who gives, right? Here's the mechanics of the kingdom. We ask, he gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And then later James says in James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. That's a short verse, a good one to memorize, but it's a powerful concept, isn't it? That you and I could be living the fallout of a non-asking lifestyle. We don't ask. Douglas Moo says, James attributes the failure of these people to gain the power and prestige they want to their failure to do just this. Ask God. Pretty simple, right? Sobering to see that God is looking listening for a human voice in the midst of all that he's doing in his kingdom. Ezekiel 22, Old Testament moment. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets, so he shows up in, in, a, in a seasonal hour when, when the kingdom has gone astray, when the people's hearts have gone astray, and they've gone after idolatry, and, and, and it's reached a point where God is now going to respond uh, by bringing judgment And God doesn't bring judgment every day of our existence, but he does at times do that. And Ezekiel 22 says this. This is God speaking. He says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. What was God doing in that moment? He's looking at a condition in the world that needed to change. Something needs to change here. The hearts of people, the practices, the ungodliness, the sin that's overtaken them, the affections that are no longer spent on God have gone somewhere else. And God is looking for something. What's he looking for? He's looking for just one person, just a voice, a man who would come before me and plead for my will in this setting. Just come, come and ask so that I could give. He says, but I found none, verse 31. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I haven't even gotten to the mystery part yet. That's a little mysterious, right? It looks like if somebody had done something different, there would have been a different outcome. Well, yeah, but Keith, two weeks ago, you talk about Jesus, you know, God being sovereign and, you know, every molecule he's, yeah, yeah. A little bit of mystery here. But that verse is intended to sound exactly the way it sounds. It's intended to say, if somebody has stood right there and made the case representing humanity before me, the outcome would have been different. That's what it's supposed to sound like. I mean, Ezekiel's not messing up here. Luke chapter 22, again, Jesus is the model of of this. Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. I sought for a man and there he was, the son of man, standing and interceding on behalf of Peter who was about to get taken down by Satan. Who, you know, Hey, we respect Peter, great apostle, did amazing things, etc. He also did some stuff that even need to be corrected at a human level and he's about to deny Jesus. So uh, can, can I just say it this way? Peter is no match for Satan. Apart from the grace of God, Satan eats Peter for lunch every day. And he does that for us too. But I have prayed for you. The same Jesus who asked for the Holy Spirit is asking for something when Peter's about to be sifted. And that asking is having an impact. So when you and I read the Bible and, and we, we engage prayer, we make a mistake. A massive mistake. When we make Man's activity, this is activity of man when we make it inconsequential, as though it doesn't matter whether we do this. The Bible doesn't sound that way. Well, Keith, can you explain how it does matter? Because, you know, at the end, the storyline does work out. God does get us to where it needs to get. Yes, he does. And I can't explain all that. I'm just here to, you know, to play in the pay grade that's available to me. I don't get to counsel God in the sovereign issues of how he manages the universe, I'm just called to obey him and to just take what he's made real and and walk in it. So there's there's some mystery here in this realm of prayer, right? Fruit bearing is mysterious. Prayer is mysterious because then Jesus put those two together. That's what we got in John 15. There's this fruit-bearing thing that God wants his life to be transferred through the branches and to, for fruit to be born, for observable life of God to be seen in this world. That's what this fruit is. But there's some mystery here, right? John fifteen sixteen. you did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you, that you'd go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So prayer is part of this process of bearing fruit. Jesus pulled it into the conversation. He didn't say go bear fruit and then not talk about prayer. He immediately talked about prayer. So this is this is essential activity for us. Whatever fruit we want to see, where God shows up triumphantly in our lives, where God shows up abundantly in our lives, where God shows up in our church and does things and delivers people, brings joy into their world, Brings them into the kingdom of God to live for his glory forever. Gives them loud voices to sit on the front row and scream praises to God. All that stuff, Jesus attached prayer to it immediately when he brought it up. Here's some mystery James 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. As it is working. This is that that one sentence loaded. Just take time and meditate on that. Just here's the guarantee. The prayer has great power. All right. Prayer has great power. Great little helpful phrase. As it is working. It's, it's, It's not just a, hey, we had this one moment, this one prayer thing. It's as it is working. So prayer has a dimension of, of continuation to it. We, are, we, are, we prayed, but we're praying. and So this, this activity continues. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. He prayed, and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Right? So this is, this is intended. This is intended to say there was this man. And I love the fact that Elijah was a man with, with, passions and a nature like ours. Elijah was like us, whatever that means. He apparently, if he was going to the seniors meetings, he was bald and gray one or the other. Um, So Elijah was like us. He had moments that looked like us. He would have fit in with us. And he prayed and the outcome of events on earth changed. Don't overlook that. There was normal doing life. He too was living in a time of, of rampant idolatry. This is the Ahab Jezebel season of life. Where the people of God even are being drawn into the idolatry of the world. And Elijah lives in that moment. And and life is going on. Life is going on. Life is going on. There's crops being planted. There's rain that's coming. Stuff is happening. And there's a man like you and me. And he prays and he changes all that. The weather changed. Drought came and took the place. Of the normal routines of life. And uh, and James intends for us to connect those two. It didn't just happen. It wasn't just a, a weather cycle. It was a man who prayed. And that event changed. And James wants us to know that's how it's done. And then he turns around and uses our formula here. He prayed again. He asked, heaven gave and fruit was born. So if you want a formula, that's the formula. So we've been talking about growing together for the glory of God, growing so that fruit is being produced in our lives. What's the formula for fruit? We ask, heaven gives, and fruit is born. We ask, heaven gives, and fruit is born. That's the formula. That's the formula to do church. We ask, heaven gives, and fruit is born. If no one's praying for this meeting today, we have an asking problem. But we're all here hoping heaven's going to give. But that's not the formula. The formula is we ask, heaven gives, and fruit is born. So there's supposed to be fruit from the word of God being preached. There's supposed to be fruit from people gathering in fellowship and walking with one another and bringing God's word to bear and living life towards one another. We ask, heaven gives, and fruit is born in our world. That's... The formula. James intends for us to see that our asking is part of shaping human events in real ways. And when you and I stop believing that, we will stop praying. But that's not how the Bible sounds, right? It sounds like we're supposed to be doing that. James 5, again, James is very helpful. Got a lot to say in this category. James 5, verse 7, he says, Be patient, right? Prayer is something that involves patience. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, right? Fruit bearing apparently takes time. Right? Please notice that in your own life. Please give everybody else in your life a little bit of slack. Fruit bearing takes time. Be patient. See how the farmer he waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So, you know, this is back in the day. But if you planted a crop as a farmer back in this day and it didn't rain, your crop is done. You got nothing. So there was this faith that I'm going to take action and I'm going to put this seed in the ground and then I'm going to trust that heaven is going to give rain. And so what could you do as a farmer in that moment? All you could do is pray. Because there was this mystery that there was this thing sitting in the ground that unless heaven didn't do its part, that thing in the ground isn't doing anything. Heaven has got to do its part. You know, what's interesting here in our modern day um, We kind of don't need heaven to do its part because we have irrigation systems and sprinklers now. So if it doesn't rain, we'll just just turn the hose on, right? And we'll just run the sprinkler for a couple hours, and we'll be good. And interesting, the more and more human resource we create, the less and less we look for God to intervene in our lives. Isn't that interesting? Kind of a similar problem for us. But here's this mystery of this fruit bearing. It's the last thing I'll I'll bring to us. Mark chapter 4 says this about this whole concept of planting and waiting for harvest. He said to them, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed it sprouts and it grows. And he knows not how. Well, you know, well, we're scientific, right? Well, it's germination, you idiot. You know, there's a little bit of supernatural faith in the idea that, you know, you take a, a, a kernel of seed and stick it in a sack, and it'll stay a kernel of seed in a sack like forever. But you stick it in the ground and let it get wet at a certain temperature, it just comes to life and it produces a stem and a stalk. And then it produces fruit. It's like, can you really explain that? Well, it's germination. I know, but still, why does it do that? I don't know. We just call it germination. doesn't mean I understand it. I just got a title for it. The farmer does what you and I are called to do in the kingdom of God. The farmer does his part, and then he just mysteriously stares at stuff and waits. I don't know why that's about to do what it's about to do, but I've seen it happen a bunch of times, so pretty sure it'll do it again. Can you explain it to me? Not really. <laughs> so what are you doing? I just plant and then I wait. What are you waiting for? Having to give rain? Can you look up in your life and see that's the life you've been called to live? You, you scatter the seed of God's word, the realities of who God is, right? The, the word is the living word. It's God himself, his word. We scatter that into people's lives and then, then we, we wait for it to come to life. Well, Why does it come to life over here and not over here? I don't know why any of it comes to life. And that's much less why some of it never does. It's, it's a mystery, there's something supernatural, and, and I know the source of that mystery makes me do this. Because the source of the mystery is not here. It's not like I can look to, and this is where, again, you know, we scatter seeds, so we do stuff. And we're supposed to do stuff. But when you start looking for the kingdom to come because you got a smoke machine, and you got cool lights and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I'm not against any of that stuff. Okay, whatever. But you can't, that won't produce mystery. You understand? There's there's something weird that goes on in the soul of a human being when God gives rain and the seed inside of them comes to life for reasons that you and I can't fully explain. So all it leaves me with is I should just ask for the rain and I'll just leave the rest up to God. What if the rain doesn't come tomorrow? Well, I'll keep asking. What if it doesn't come in a month? Well, you know, the farmer guy got told, be patient. But what if it rains once and it doesn't fully get there? Well, yeah, there was early rains and there was latter rains. Or maybe there's more things that God's got to do, but heaven's got to give. That's all I need to know. I don't need to be able to unpack the mystery. Heaven's got to give, and I've got to ask. 1 Corinthians 3, it's how Paul described ministry. He says, what? what's Apollos? What's Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, right? You pull that out and you just got people walking around throwing stuff on the ground. You got no day of harvest. There will be no fruit unless God gives, but, but don't overlook our activity plus mystery equals fruit. In the Bible. The Bible that turns around and says, hey, God's the one who gives. You know, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. This is how we glorify God. How many of you guys know this was not Paul saying, so this is my last letter and you're my last visit and I will never scatter another seed and Apollos can stop watering? We're done because n- neither one of us are anything. It's only God. No! The man put himself in jeopardy. He went from place to place to place as though what he did to scatter seed and what Apollos did to water mattered. Even though he recognized, hey, listen, honestly, we're nothing in this. Unless God causes the growth, none of this matters. Well, it does matter though. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, it does matter, but it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, okay. Kind of sounds mysterious, doesn't it? There's a little mystery here. Listen. As much as there is mystery in this category, there's some clarity as well. So, can we just cling to the clarity? Where Keith, you can come back up, buddy. One more passage here. You know, you have you have Jesus. This is last night, his last night with his disciples. Because I just want to make sure and download this to you. There's this asking from you and this giving from heaven. Did I say that already? And then he says it again. There's this asking from you and this giving from heaven. Did I bring that up yet? There's this asking from you and this giving from heaven. Oh, and by the way, I'm doing some asking as well. Oh, can we just pray together? I'm going to ask right now on behalf of you. I'm going to intercede for you. That in the future, God would do this and he would do this and he would do this. I'm going to ask. So so listen, I'm not exempt from this asking. You're not exempt from this asking. It's a critical part of the mission that you're on together. Make sure you are asking. Paul picks that up and he says something that, that is sobering. I just I hope you can hear, because this is the Apostle Paul. This is a guy who didn't take Tylenol, even if he needed it. This guy had a high pain threshold. Listen to how he describes his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Can you imagine you have walked with the Apostle Paul through setting after setting? The guy is like a rock. You can beat him to a pulp and he just gets up and says, hey, let's go to the next town. And in this moment, you had a conversation with him and he is, quote, despairing of life itself. Do you think that would get your attention? Do you think you'd freak out that? Oh my gosh, the the most sturdy man I know in this moment. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, right? That's a great lesson there. Some of us are in desperate situations because God is teaching us. You've run out, haven't you? You got nothing. You can't fix this, can you? You're powerless, aren't you? You feel the threat, don't you? Are you convinced you can't solve whatever you're facing? And you get to that moment and God says, I'm doing that so that you recognize it's got to come from heaven. It's got to come from heaven. But don't detach that story from what we just talked about. What else? Well, rain comes from heaven that brings forth fruit. So so you're bankrupt. You're a seed sitting in the ground, dusty, dry, nothing from heaven dripping on you. You got the sentence of death on you because you're not going to produce an ounce of life. You're going to sit in that ground just like that until rain comes and waters and the mystery of God takes place. He delivered us, verse 10, from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, We've set our hope that he will deliver us again. You, next sentence, next thought. You, Corinthians, you also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted. As through the prayers of many. I don't have to be able to fully explain this and I can't how a man can stand on the one hand and say, God's the one who delivered us. He delivered us from this deadly parent. He will deliver us again, but then he doesn't turn around and say, so, Hey guys, send you a postcard, keep in touch. Hope all is well visit you next time we come. He turns around and says, he knows for sure. God is going to deliver him. You must help us. And this is a man who was desperate at some point. And he needed heaven to respond to him. And it did. But then he turns around to the church and he says, You must help us. This is the Apostle Paul. There's none of us in the same league with this guy. And he is desperate to be helped by the prayers of the saints. Can you imagine what the average elder on earth needs? in this world like, uh, can I stand before you and say you must help us you must help us do you understand the things that we do in the kingdom of God if Paul and Apollos didn't matter that I could tell you right now Keith Collins doesn't matter an ounce neither does anybody else around here the opposition is too fierce the effect of sin is too deep This war in this world is too dark. This is not something casual. The kingdom of God doesn't come casually. The kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. That's what the Bible says. This is not a peacetime. We are in our own Ukraine being invaded and threatened on a daily basis of our spiritual lives. So whatever it is we're doing... Walking with somebody whose life is falling apart. Reach, you know, sowing a seed of the kingdom of God into somebody's life who doesn't know Jesus, but they they need to come from their own moment of destruction and desperation into the kingdom of God. You must help us. That person who's lost every ounce of hope because they've lived through a circumstance that has been bad after bad after bad after bad. They've lost hope for their marriage. They've lost hope for their future. They've lost hope that they're ever going to overcome their problem. They sit across the table from me or one of the pastors here to get counsel. Really? That situation has destroyed their lives for decades. What do you think we're going to say to them that's going to go, oh, thank you. Your little phrase, Keith, it just fixed everything that for 20 years has been wrecking my life. Really? You must help us. It's too desperate to touch people's lives. It's beyond our reach. But there's this weird thing that Jesus installed in his church. He said, you ask and the Father will give. You ask and rain will come and weird stuff will happen and things will come popping up out of the ground and fruit will be born and you won't be able to explain it because it came from heaven but you did ask for it this is why this is a hill for us to die on and and God doesn't let us see behind the scenes of things there are things that happen things that don't happen there are things that we would love to see happen we all want to see growth. We want to see things happen in the kingdom here at Lakeview Christian Center. And there's probably all kinds of reasons we could put a finger on. Hey, that's not done really well. What about that? What about that? What about that? Well, I'm going to stand next to the Apostle Paul and I'm just going to say, you must help us. You must help us. Through prayer, you must help us. And that's an everybody thing. So you don't have to be a person with a microphone to be helping the church. You could be full of faith, looking to heaven, calling down rain. And, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out some of you people tower over the rest of us. I'm going to live way down the street in the cheap section of town. And you're going to be living in a massive mansion because you fought and did one of the hardest things that a human being does. You stood before God and you cried out to him. And you would not give God any rest until He answered you. And rain came from heaven, and fruit came into the kingdom of God. That's who some of you are. And some of us may never hear you say a word in public, but your words in private are moving and changing the world. Elijah was a man like us, and he prayed. So, can we together, let's stand up this morning. Can we ask the Lord to help prayer be an essential activity at Lakeview Christian Center? For every one of our lives, nobody is not called to this. It's essential for us. So, let's just wait on the Lord just for a moment and pray together. Lord, last night with you. You can imagine what the disciples, how they rehearsed that last night. Do you remember what Jesus said? And then he said this. They finally realized this. this that was his last time. That was the last words he had with us before he went to the cross. Lord, you made our asking and heaven's giving at the center of all that you were telling them to be and to do. And Father, we have found this call to be one of the hardest things in our lives. I want each of us just to sense right now but where are we in this category? We're not for the sake of some condemnation, because you have eliminated our ability to be condemned. We don't have to be afraid of failing. I fail a lot. So, God, around this room, Lord, would you make us aware whether whether we have neglected earthly asking, seeking heavenly giving? What if we neglected that? Are we here today running on autopilot? We just think the kingdom comes automatically. We just, God just does whatever he's going to do. And Lord, thank you that somehow you are sovereign over our world. But you have called us to ask and seek and knock and keep asking and wait and look. And to wait for heaven to respond and to give its reign upon our lives. If right now I were to ask you, what category or categories of your life are you not asking God in? Right now, I just want you personally, just listen for the Holy Spirit. There are categories of your life. Do you know what they are? Categories, you've got them. Big pieces, big chapters, big gatherings of people, settings. What are those categories? Have you stopped asking God for something in them? and patiently asking and asking again and again and again. God, help us, because many of us have stopped asking because we didn't see answers. Lord, we got discouraged. We prayed and nothing. We prayed and the worst thing happened. Lord, we prayed and it just felt confusing. So Lord, I get that. I've got lots and lots. i got way too many reasons to question the asking and giving equation. But it's there. You said it and you made a big deal out of it. So Father, we're asking for you to awaken this in us. But would you give us a thought right now, all around around this room, Lord, give us a thought of what area of our lives that we are called to be ministers into. What areas, what people, what settings, what ministry activity that we have lived towards something is waiting for rain right now? Or what in our lives is waiting for rain right now? Lord, it's something we've sown, something that we have lived our lives deliberately toward. We have sown the word of God. We have lived toward a setting. But it could be our families. It could be grown children somewhere going through a difficult season in their lives Lord could be a health situation that needs a miracle. Lord what is in our lives God it could be an outreach, it could be relatives that we have and, and neighbors and friends, co-workers that we have shared the gospel with them and that seed in all those places it's waiting for rain Lord. you've got to give rain from heaven God, we want fruit that remains. You got to give rain from heaven. God, would you remind us this morning? God, would you awaken in us a longing for rain, a waiting and a praying for it because something mysterious happens when you rain on these seeds around us. Life comes and we can't fully explain it. God, perhaps we have ministered to somebody who's been in an addictive pattern, struggled with gaming or pornography or drug addictions God, and we have ministered and we have sought and we have sown. God, and there needs to be rain. God, there needs to be something given from heaven that causes life to come in that place. God, all over our lives, there are opportunities for rain to come. God, would you just awaken that in us this morning? God, I thank you that there is help the kingdom of God to come right here in this room. You must help us. Lord, there's a lot of help in this room. Lord, would you help us to get rescued from whatever is keeping us from helping the kingdom to come? Through whatever means Paul saw, whatever means Jesus saw. Lord, I, I pray for an army of prayers. God, I pray for people who get in their prayer closet, who have faith and who wrestle and struggle and and get into the mystery of praying for your kingdom to come and we see it come among us. So Father, would would you make us, Lord, this is a hill for us to die on because just the way it's said in scripture, we can't do this without you. And we tap into who you are through praying and asking. So Lord, would you make us an asking church full of asking individuals who stand before you. You sought for a man. Lord, would you find a bunch of men and women here, young and old, standing before you, asking for rain to be given so that fruit will come among us that abides forever for your glory and for our joy jesus name amen amen Amen. god bless you guys have a great great week you guys at home you guys watching we love you hope to see you soon